Our scripture reading today is from Ecclesiastes 2 and 3. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness, and what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. And from Ecclesiastes 3, 12 through 14, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. You may be seated. What's the point of living for pleasure? Uh, any of you who have gone to church your whole life, you know this is a topic that preachers always like to preach about. Uh, this t temptation that all of us have to have our lives guided by, even driven by, our cravings to have certain kinds of pleasures. And now, I grew up, you know, in the Appalachian area, kind of south area, a little Baptist church, and uh, our preachers love to preach about this. It, it's, my memory is that this theme of staying away from the world's pleasures was the main theme of almost every sermon I ever heard. It was so much so, and some of you are nodding, it was so much so that whenever one of the high school students would miss on a particular Sunday, and then would come back and say, well, what was the sermon about last week? And we would just say, oh, it was one of those I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't go with girls who do types of sermons. That's what we would see. And it seemed to me that preachers in my home area, especially the little churches like I grew up in, they just became unbelievably eloquent and passionate when they would tell us to stay away from the pleasures of the world. Now, I, I'm not so sure that preachers today preach as much about this topic but ever since I knew I was going to be talking about this, I've gone online and read some of the sermons that are being preached in our day and some of the times even listened to them. And I found out people are still preaching about this matter of pleasure. But in many of our 21st century churches, it just seems like preachers preach about it in a different way. Almost all of the sermons that I've heard about pleasure have to do with the fact that, that everything, every pleasure that we have has been created by God. So that pleasure isn't wrong. Um, that in fact God is no spoil sport. That seems to always be a major theme of these. In fact, I saw one sermon on pleasure that was written. It was eight pages long from this text, Ecclesiastes 2. And seven pages of it 
took time to take what Solomon says about his pleasures and embellish it and tell us what those pleasures uh, are like in our day. I felt like he, the preacher himself was being tempted toward the same pleasures. That There was no call to repentance or no call to do any, to stay away from things like that. So I'll just tell you, when you think about those two different ways of looking at it, this topic that I'm going to be talking to you about today is a challenging one to preach about if we're going to be fair to the whole of the Bible. Because on one side, uh, we know that we imperfect human beings that we're often drawn toward. If we just want to give in to what we're craving to do, we're often drawn, drawn to the wrong things. Can I have a witness? I mean, sometimes just following our own cravings to find pleasure is going to lead us away from God and not to God. But on, but on the other side, you've got to recognize the fact that God is the creator of every good gift that brings pleasure that God has created human beings in such a way that we, that we can have it, that God himself is described as one who has pleasure many times in the Bible. One, one of the great verses, Psalm 104, verse 31 says, May the glory of the Lord endure forever, and may the Lord, the one who made us, find great pleasure in all that he does, in all that, of his works. So it seems to me that what the Bible is t teaching us is that when pleasurable things are received in the way that God would have us to do them and, uh, and done in the keeping with his word, they can bring us great, great joy. But, but these two truths, that our craving for pleasure can lead us away from God, that all things that give pleasure comes from God, they almost seem to clash, don't they? So how am I going to talk about this? Uh, well, to gain focus, what I thought I would do is to remind you of someone, I have told you a little bit about this story in some other sermons, but I want you to see the video clip of it. It's of a man in our own world who perhaps has experienced as much pleasure in our world's success and fame, married to a supermodel, uh, just incredibly successful. But then on 60 Minutes, back a number of years ago, he was interviewed in the middle of some of his great success. It's Tom Brady, the quarterback for the New England Patriots. I just want you to watch this and see what he has to say. Powerful, don't you think? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. So you see these two sides. Uh, it, it's wonderful to have the kinds of things that bring pleasure, but on, on the other side, once you have them, there's got to be more. I wish I knew what that more was. So today, we're going to turn to a, to a person who experienced even more pleasure than Tom Brady and perhaps 10 other celebrities all put together have ever experienced as uh, King Solomon in Israel. And I feel like when I read uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, near the end of his life, he looks back on it all. As I said, this is a big topic and, and you can't cover it all in one sermon. So here's what I've decided to do. Just let what, what he says in the book of Ecclesiastes guide us. Just let him walk us through it and see what God has to say to us. So this is where he started. He started with an experiment. Look at verse 1 of Ecclesiastes 2. I, I said to myself, so this is one of those self-sermons, right? Self, come now. I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Now, that word test, I'll, I'll test you, is a word that says he was going to have an experiment. It was a deliberate attempt as I read it, 
for him to find out whether what everybody in the world was telling him, this is where you really find your life, whether that's true. Uh, remember that Solomon keeps using this phrase, under the sun. If you weren't here last week, he uses this phrase, under the sun. And what he's talking about is, if there's no God in this world, and this life is all there is, this life under the sun, then what is life all about? And the first place that he'd heard in his world that people said, well, what it has to be about is just enjoying life and finding pleasure. Do you think the same thing might be said to us today? Well, well absolutely, especially here in Southern California. This is, this is the way that people talk about that, that basically, if you really want to find your life, you've got to first sort of discover who you are, um, then, then find out what it is you really have a passion for, and then go for it. Live that way. Follow your passions wherever they take you. And if anybody, including the preacher in church on a Sunday morning at Lake Avenue Church, says, don't live that way, get rid of that guy. <laughs> because they're, they're keeping you from enjoying what life is all about. Fulfill your desires and you will really live. Now, people were saying that to Solomon, and I think people still say it to us today. Every advertising uh, agent says it to us today. Buy this. Do that. That's where life really is. And so Solomon really says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a test. I'm going to live that way and find out if that's where life is found. Now, the thing you have to see is the second phrase in verse 1, and it, it goes all the way through this text, that he looked at the way that he was going to live his life, this test, as being a conscious, intentional attempt to find out if pleasure in this world, simply by itself, if you had it all, is what can fill your inner being to give you that uh, answer to the real questions of life. Why am I here? What is life all about? Do you see that second phrase in verse 1? He said this test was to find out what is good. He really means this, to find out what life is all about. So this wasn't this sort of flight into debauchery. Uh, sometimes people say that when, when kids get out of high school, and get away from the uh, restraints of their parents and, 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 the, and their church, perhaps even at home, that that's what they do. They get rid of all the taboos and just live life, a life of debauchery. In fact, Thomas Wolfe has written a couple of books about this. I Am Charlotte Simmons, some of you may remember that, or Hooking Up, talking about the way of life in many of our universities. That is not what Solomon is going to do. This was a reasoned attempt to find out whether there's any kind of pleasure in our world that could fill the inner being. But, but Solomon, you see there, had already always anticipated that there was no pleasure in this world that would really last. And he knew they'd prove to be fleeting. Deep down, I think, he knew that I'm going to try this, I'm going to test this. But at the end of the day, and he says it, I think this is going to prove to be meaningless. But he did it anyway. <laughs> so that brings me to the next part. I've called it his plan. And his plan was he was going to try every pleasure that he could try uh, in case you think he didn't give it a real chance. You see, I wrote that up there for you. <laughs> and that is summarized. That's all put together in verses 2 through 10. And he ends it in verse 10 by saying, so here's what I did. I denied myself nothing that my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. So what, what he does here is he just tells us some of the places, the pleasurable places he was looking to find life. Now, um, I, I'm, what I'm not going to do is just embellish everything that he said 
Because what I find is when preachers do that, just think, okay, I'm going to tell you about all his pleasures and try, so that you can sort of think about it. It only tempts you to want to live that way. So I'm not going to do that. I will tell you this, though. If you want to find out just all that he had and all that he did, there are several places in the Old Testament that, that describe that for us. 1 Kings chapter 4, beginning with verse 22. You want to write those down? 1 Chronicles chapter 27, verse 29 and following. Second Chronicles, again, chapter 9, verses 25 and following, it just describes that in his world, nobody had ever had as much as Solomon had. No one had ever done as much as he did. But one of the things I like about the text that we come to today that Catherine read for us is that the way I read it is at the end of his life, uh, Solomon takes all of those things that he had and, and that he had done and he summarizes them for us. So he began, I think, where most of us would begin. What did he try, his plan? He first tried fun and laughter. So, so in verse 2, you have this phrase, laughter is madness. Now, you've got to listen. Uh, he's not by that saying that all laughter and fun is bad. Uh, laughter and fun, that, that's a gift from God. I, I learned that again this past week. Now, I was in Chicago a lot of the week. I've been involved in a very intense kind of work. It went from morning to night, just very, very... So at the end of it, I just I felt tight and kind of anxious about things. But then when the break was done, I, I was able to get away because our grandchildren lived not too far from where I was. So I went over and I spent several hours with our grandchildren. I have a couple of pictures here. And I'm just telling you, we did silly things. We had fun. Um, we went to the ice cream shop. We stole ice cream from one another. We put ice cream on one another. It, we just had fun. And I'll tell you, I laughed. And it was, it was a, all I can tell you is it, it was a great gift. It is a great gift to have fun. It is such a beautiful thing to be able to have times of laughter. It's a gift of God to us. Does anyone agree? You ever had those hard times where just to be able to have some fun is so wonderful? So Solomon is not saying that all laughter and all fun is bad. What he is saying is, if you just live life only to have fun and laughter, it's at the end of the day going to prove to be empty. You could just try to imagine, what if you just back to back to back watch the dumbest movies you could imagine so you watch Dumb and Dumber, you, you watch Anchorman, you watch Ishtar, you watch uh, Three Stooges. Uh, you know what it's going to end up feeling like? That you've had a whole week of only eating uh, cotton candy. There's no substance there, and you say, I've got to have some substance. Or have you ever had a relationship, or maybe someone you call a friend, but all you do is laugh and do crazy things together, you never deal with the deep issues of of life, the hard, the challenges, and the pains. Have you ever had a relationship like that? When you go home from that, it's, it's like something is missing. And that's what he's getting at, that a life just with laughter, that's madness. It doesn't provide any solution to the real issues that we face in life, the kind of challenges. I mean, I see Josh and Catherine, I mean, with Nicholas and Victoria going through such pain, just to go and laugh and joke, You've got to deal with more than life, uh, life and that. And so he says it, it accomplishes nothing. If that's what you live for and that's all you experience, it will leave you empty inside. If that's the center of your life, just going for fun all the time will prove to be meaningless. So wh where else could he try? 
Well, then he tried uh, alcohol, which is another thing that, you know, it's like it's written today, right? And the way he put it in verse 3 is, I tried cheering myself with wine. Actually, I want you, if, if you have your Bible, I think I put it up here so you can see it. Look how carefully he writes this. I tried cheering myself with wine, but my mind was still guiding me by wisdom. He says this several times, doesn't it? What on earth is that about? Well, I'll try to explain it to you in a minute, so you've got to think about it. Here, I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. So what he's really talking about is he's not going to go out and just get drunk every day and find out if that's what life is all about. I mean, he was a smart man. He knew that just going out and getting drunk all the time would just end up wrecking your own health, destroying every relationship around you, uh, often even being addicted to the chemical. He knew that. It, it didn't take a great philosopher, <laughs> didn't take the king of Israel to tell us that or to tell his people that. We all know that. What he is saying is this, that many people say, well, there are just many of the delights of this world that if you experience them like wine, like good food, maybe that's where life is to be found. And I think that speaks to us today too, especially with uh, gourmet cooking, fine wines becoming more and more a part of our own culture. I was going to ask you to see how many of you watch the Food Channel regularly. These th yes, I got <laughs> It's the most excited I've heard you at the 9 o'clock service for a while. You, you see, so many times people say, well, where you can really find life is just in wonderful foods and, and, and wonderful wines. And that little phrase he adds in verse 3, in the few days of our lives. He, he wanted to find out that with life being so short, and if under the sun is all there is and there's nothing after this, is real life to be found in just experiencing the fine things, the food and the wine of this world? And what he found out is that it can bring some temporary delight to the connoisseur, but at the end of the day, it is no remedy for the deepest longings of our human hearts. If we just live for the fine things of this world, it'll leave us empty meaningless. So, what else is he going to try? I love the phrase that he uses in verse 4. He, he tried expanding the range of pleasure, and I translated verse 4 this way from the Hebrew. I enlarged the sphere of my activities. If, if you have your Bible, it's, it's often translated, I made great works. But really what, it, what it's saying is, I decided I would build and try things that nobody else has ever really tried. I wanted to make sure that I had tried everything. Now, I, I, I can understand this. Uh, any of us who have grown up in a church home, I think you can understand what he's getting at. Uh, Solomon had grown up in a religious home. Remember, David was his father. And often when you grow up in a church-type home, we, we have the restrictions that we say, don't live this way, and you know, the, the, the restrictions are put on us. And I think Solomon says, I'm going to throw off all those taboos. I have resources to do what nobody else has ever done. I'm going to try, every, I'm going to extend, I'm going to expand the sphere of my activities to find meaning for my life, to see if there's anything in this world. And what he said at the end of it in, in verse 9 is, uh, I became greater by far than, than anyone in Jerusalem because I could do things that nobody had ever done. So you can read what he says. I went out and I, I built great vineyards and, and gardens just to see if the uh, artistic beauty and building things and having bigger and bigger houses 
Before I'd only had 700 acres, I want 7,000 acres now, and I'm going to have the greatest gardens that I possibly can have, and what happens, and it still happens. As you get to be wealthier and you build the bigger and bigger houses and you get more and more behind the gated fences, uh, you become more isolated. And life even becomes emptier. And then, then because it becomes too much, he had, he had to get slaves to do the work. He, he couldn't work all those vineyards and all those gardens and even take care of his house. And that happens too with greater success. We end up, we don't even have to do anything. Our administrative assistants uh, can do it. I tried all of that. Eventually, as you know, he, he entered, entered into sexual pleasure where he had so many wives, many of them, to, to establish relationships, alliances with other kings. I don't know if you know how that worked back in the ancient world. You'd marry so that you were sort of tied and you wouldn't fight one another. But he, he entered into all that. But the one phrase that I especially want you to notice is there in verse 8, uh, in which he said he brought in both male and female singers. The thing you probably don't know is until Solomon's time, there's no evidence that you ever had female entertainers in any of the courts. It was always males, men. And, 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 and Solomon's father, David, had been one of those with King Saul. Do you remember? He would go and play, play the harp. But, but Solomon would say, music, now that's one of the greatest gifts under the sun, one of the most pleasurable things under the sun. Entertainment, that's a great thing. But you know, if you just hear, have the same entertainment all the time, it gets to be... Same old, you know, same old. So I'm not just going to have men entertainers. I'm going to have men and women entertainers. I'm going to experience all the arts. I'm going to have it nonstop. I'm going to have every possible style and find out if it works to bring me pleasure. In fact, he would say, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. So do you see, in case you wonder whether he tried everything, he wants us to make sure we know he did. Everything under the sun to fill our inner beings without God. And that brings us to the evaluation. In verse 11, it is so powerful. He found everything under the sun, every pleasure this world could possibly offer, everything was meaningless. It's like chasing after the wind. <laughs> I thought I could find it there, I thought I could find it there, I'll try it over here, and you grab it, and it's just nothing in your hand. And so, this pleasures in this world have these ways of promising more than they can ever produce. David Hubbard, who used to be the president across the street at Fuller Seminary, he, he wrote this, I, I think it's great, I'll, I won't forget it. Pleasures advertising department is better than its manufacturing department. Don't you think that it promises so much, can't produce it? Because you know what happens when experiencing pleasure becomes the main thing in life, the enjoyment of that particular pleasure, it starts really well, of that particular, begins to decrease the more that you have it. And so you have to have more of that to try to get yourself back up into the pleasure level where it once was, until eventually you have to have more and more and more, and it doesn't satisfy but especially if it's something like alcohol or any kind of chemical issue or other things too, it ends up being bondage for you, addictions for you with the sexual addictions and gambling addictions and, and alcohol addictions that ran rampant in his world and in ours as well. There's no enjoyment to it anymore. So I'll tell you, no matter what the advertising world and our consumerist society says to us, buy this, that's where you'll find life. Do this. That's where you'll find life. 
it will not deliver. That's what Solomon learned. He wants to pass it on to us. It's good to experience pleasure, but there is no pleasure great enough to be the reason for living. All right. We've got to reflect on this for a while. I call it a time to reflect. I love what Solomon does in this section. In verse 11 of chapter 2, he stops for a while and says, what have I learned? Where am I with this? But then as you get to chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, he comes back to it. And he takes time to reflect. And with this phrase in verse 14, in contrast to all of this, which is chasing after the wind and doesn't last, everything God does will endure forever. What God does, nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. He says, if you're looking for something that will last and, and will satisfy your inner being, it's not going to be found in something under the sun. It's got to be found in the God who made the sun and stands over the sun. He had tried everything. He found it empty. And what he really, one of the few times in Ecclesiastes he does this until we come to the very end. But in chapter 3, verses 12 to 14, he finally, he, he gets it, says, you've got to look and see that there is a God and what he does actually lasts. So what I really appreciate about him is that not only did he take time to experience all these things as, as a way of trying to find out what is wisdom here? Is this where real life is to be found? But then he stopped for application. And don't you think we need to do that in church? I think one of the most difficult things for any pastor is that I know, because I know myself too, that we come in and often you have a message like this that really speaks to the issues of our society. You hear it, and sometimes you will say, well, that was a good sermon. But then you walk out the door and don't even think about it anymore. And it makes no difference whatsoever. I'll tell you, when the Word of God goes forward and when you sense God speaks to you, I think one of the most important things for you to do is to stop and to say, Lord, what does that mean? What are you saying to me? What difference does this make? I, I want to take just a moment. Has God said anything to you today from this, his word? When it comes to these matters of pleasure, and God says, if you just go at it your own way, if you do it to try to find that as the main thing you're living for, it's going to be empty. Do you believe it? Do you believe what the Bible has to say about this? Okay, I got a seven. I got uh, do you think that really maybe, even though you say, well, God says this, and I, I kind of believe in my head, that maybe really you say, oh, God, and I've got to have something more to, to really fill my inner being, and there's got to be this pleasure that I'm really drawn to, I've got to have that. Do, do you feel that inside? I've thought about what I wanted to say to you in my privilege of being your senior pastor, and there are many things, but I jotted down two that, that I could not get off my mind. And one of them, I just want to make sure you understand the real problem with making pleasure the center of your life. Number two, I, I want you to think about what I call the essential question about pleasure and how pleasure can take its rightful place in your life. So the main problem is that living to fulfill self-centered, underscore that word, self-centered pleasure, it will prove to be empty. Uh, I, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and, and that conviction that really what living for pleasure does is it just draws you inside yourself. Say, that's what I want. And, and I know our society says that's how you're supposed to live. Do something for yourself. But I'm telling you, the Bible is countercultural. 
It says that's not where you find yourself. Uh, so as you look at this text, the way that Solomon wrote it, chapter 2, verse 1, the very first word is I. You see that? And then almost 20 times he keeps using I, me, myself. In fact, I put a graphic up here just for you to look at it. I call it the I factor. Do you, do you see it there? I just think that is powerful. Just keep looking at that. And you begin to see what he is really getting at, what he's trying to teach us. I explored, I enlarged, I built, I planted, I collected. And it's just not the eyes and me, but it's the, 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 the goal of the activity was always for myself. And he wanted to see that if he lived a life for himself, whether that would end up in, in sort of a heavenly-like experience, but he found out what the Bible always says, that the more we live for ourselves, it ends up in hell. Sin started that way. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, it was the man and the woman, it was Adam and Eve that just rejected God and says, I want to be God. I want to do it my way. Who is he to tell me to have that rule or law? I want to, I want to live life as I want. That was the problem with Lucifer for when he fell and the prophets, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this, he said. And so what, what is our rescue is, is when we get away from that I-centered living, that I-factor because it's Charles Williams, the great English author, wrote, wrote a book called Descent into Hell. And what he meant was, the more we just descend into ourselves, living for ourselves, the more into a hellish existence we plunge. We've got to get out of ourselves and put our focus upon God and see that he calls us to find our lives in the service of people made in his image. I, I really see this as the greatest danger that you will face in our society. The messages of our society will bombard you with this message that the way for you really to live is to focus on yourself. Again and again, you'll be told, oh, you've got to do something for yourself. And even this, if you're drawn to a certain way of life and someone says don't live that way, no, you've got to live for yourself, indulge yourself, even if God's word tells you otherwise. I just have to tell you this temptation to think that doing what you crave to do without regard to God will happen in greater or lesser extents every day of your life. Don't you feel that? Every day of your life. So here's what you and I have to come to grips with. Is Jesus really the Lord of your life? Or are you going to say, I've got to keep control of at least part of it? If this word tells you this is how you should live, and your inner longings say, but I really want to live a different way, then this is the choice that uh, Solomon puts before you. To leave God out, to follow yourself, will end up being chasing after the wind. Do you believe that? On the other side, this, 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 it's faith, isn't it? It's faith. Do you trust that if God says, listen, live my way, and that's where you really find joy and satisfaction. Do you believe him? Ah, it's, it's a challenge for us. It's a challenge for us. It's a matter of faith every day to say, Lord, I surrender all. What a song to pick out today, Dwayne. I surrender. That is a big thing for us to sing, and I looked around, and most of you were singing it. So now we have to live it. So that's the first thing I wanted to pass on. I think you've got to recognize this I factor is such a huge issue for us. And the second, the essential question, just flows right out of that. Are you ready today to reaffirm or to affirm for the first time, God first? It's the first commandment. Nothing in the place of God. 
Uh, pleasure is wonderful if it's received as a gift of God. Pleasure is a terrible God itself. <laughs> Just mark it down. Uh, it's wonderful. In, in Ecclesiastes 3, 12 and 13, Solomon says, if you have a choice even under the sun, it's better to be able to eat and drink and to enjoy things than not to. But at the end of the day, it's meaningless. What really lasts is when you can enjoy the things of this life with God at the center. Now, the question is what, I, what you mean by that. So I, I jotted down a couple of things. So whenever God gives you the opportunity to enjoy any good thing, and I hope even being in church today is one of those, I want you to learn to receive every pleasure, not as a right, but as a gift from God. Instead of just expecting, I've got to have that or do that, whenever those small or large good gifts of pleasure come to you, don't just think, I have a right and I have to have, to have a right to have more, but if you receive it as a gift, then each time it comes, you'll just be grateful. I think I've told you, I really think this quality was the main characteristic of my father's life. Uh, he used to sit down here in the front row, but as I watched him grow in his walk with God, uh, I, I just saw that he just seemed to find such joy in the small things. He would have much rather had uh, Chris and me living close to him back in West Virginia and then later Tennessee. But he didn't complain and feel that that sort of thing was a right. But each time we would go and just be with him, he would just rejoice if it was one hour, if it was one day, if it was one week. He received everything as just a, a gift from God and it left him with a life that just radiated a contentment. And I want to learn to be like that. I, I want you to as well. And so the, I think the thing I want to say is that when God is at the center and you realize that he's the giver of every good gift, when that gift comes, receive it as a gift and not as a right. And it will bring you pleasure if you don't live for it. And, and the other part is engage in any pleasure God's way. That's really what's meant in verse 14 when it talks about the fear of the Lord. Um, fear of the Lord in the Old Testament always is in this kind of literature how you live. And it's always time to the first, first commandment, nothing in the place of God. The only thing you really fear is displeasing God. And, and sadly, I think sometimes the biggest thing we fear is that we're going to lose this thing in this, under the sun. We fear that more than anything that we fear with regard to our relationship with God. And it kind of leaves us, even for us as churchgoers, with these half-hearted commitments to the Lord. Where we say, okay, Lord, I'm going to Christian. I'll show up at church and I'll give you most of my life, but I, I won't give you my, the way I practice my sexual life. I won't give you that. But the rest of it, Lord, is all yours. Lord, I'll be a Christian, I'll show up at church because most people don't do that, but you know, how I do my business and how I treat my, my employees, I'm gonna, I've just got to hold on to some of that, otherwise my business won't thrive. Lord, I want to be a Christian, but, but if only I can keep this and you can fill in the blank. What, what is the greatest temptation for a pleasure that you want to do it your way and not in obedience to God? What is that for you? And, and I think the call of this message is I surrender all. In you I will find my life. And when you are my life, then every joy you give can be received with a smile because it doesn't have to fill up our inner being but is a gift from our Father because all pleasure, whatever it is, was God's idea. 
He, he made everything that's pleasurable. Have you ever thought about that? He, he designed you and me to be able to experience it. It is a gift from God, but it is a terrible substitute for God. So today I declare to you on the authority of His Word, uh, the pursuit of anything under the sun, any pleasure apart from God, will always be like chasing after the wind. But the joy that comes from living for God, entrusting every, every longing, every day, every moment, every decision for Him will satisfy your heart and bring glory to His name. May it happen through you. Amen. Let, let me lead us in prayer. Father, I pray I've been faithful to your word. Now we reflect upon it. Show us what difference this your word should make in our lives. For some, Father, may it be a, a first time of being drawn to trust Jesus as Savior, to open up a life to you, to find cleansing for the past, a new life in Christ. For others of us, Father, it's, it's a time of, of re-surrender of every part of us to your beings. Do your work in our hearts, even as we gather to worship in Jesus' name. Amen.